Welcome, everyone, to the X Factor Files podcast. I'm Daryl. I'm Philip. And welcome to the Rule of Three, where we invite a guest on to convince us that we should love a character. So um, it can be any character in the Marvel Universe, and that's basically the only constraint that we have. Yes, and we have a very special guest. Yes, so we brought on John from the Avenging Hour. John, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. And you are currently recovering from volume one of the Avengers. So, yes, I've it's funny because in in my timeline, I've read all of volume two now and I've started volume three and hot take volume two is kind of garbage and volume three is really good. Oh, that's what I've heard um, that once Perez is involved, like every issue that the quality really goes up yeah shocking again hot take that george perez knew how to draw comics really well uh but i also really like what kurt busik is i I like what he's doing with the story it's really good so yeah and i mean volume two is them trying to bring them back and do something different ish with them like they were doing with all of the lines that they ended and as that was a decision they made in the 90s. And looking back, maybe Heroes Reborn wasn't the best. Um, Isn't that where Super Hunky Hyperion shows up? That's the recent Heroes Reborn. Oh. Heroes Reborn originally is when they basically canceled most of the Marvel series and restarted them. Because they Four of them. Oh, oh. It was Iron Man, Captain America, Fantastic Four, and the Avengers. And they said, they went to Image Comics and said, you guys just left. uh, And you were really good. And we got a lot of sales from you. Will you please come back? And the only one that was mildly interested was Rob Liefeld. And he went to Jim Lee and said, please come back with me. And so the two of them did. And I'll let you guess which one. They each got two books. And one of them did books that were fine. And the other did books that were head scratching. Like, what is this exactly? What are you doing? Anyway, it's only 12 <laughs> issues. So, oh, I mean, yeah. technically 13, but. Yeah, it was uh, it was a time. It was a yeah. thing. Yes, it, but they didn't touch the X-Men line because mm-hmm. they're like, we're going to let that just keep going. Oh, that was selling. Yeah. <laughs> but the, oh. <laughs> the, yeah. the core Marvel Universe titles, not selling that well. No. Um, disclaimer, as with most of our episodes, the buns have decided to rouse themselves yes um as they do as soon as we start something like this so if you hear the pitter patter of little paws on foam tiles <laughs> that might be a thing if we are suddenly scrambling to get cords up and out of their ever-growing reach that might be a thing yeah i was in a meeting last week and um i i was five minutes into it and asked to started digging at carpet and tearing it up and i was like i need to pause for one second and turn my sounding camera off while i go get this rabbit out of here so there's also a new hay box in the corner that they have they're working on uh chewing holes through so they can make it their own hidey box how they want it so So there could possibly be some cardboard sounds in the background too because why not such is the life of crazy rabbit dads yes all right john so who is the Marvel character that you selected? So I, I spent so much time on this. I really wanted to go with someone more obscure. We had talked about the fact that I was really close to choosing Cactus, 
but he's only been in like six issues and he's only really interesting in one of them when he's uh, tailing the West Coast Avengers as a cactus in the background that Al Milgram kept drawing him into shots. There's just a random cactus and no one notices because they're in the Southwest. But, um, and then I was like, oh, I'll do like Dr. Druid and I'll, I'll, I'll come up. But here's the thing. I haven't read a lot of the Dr. Druid appearances because no one has. Uh, so I went with a character that is near and dear to my heart. And that is Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic. And I chose this because the Fantastic Four is, in my opinion, the best super team in Marvel, maybe in comics. And then I listened to your episode, which was in our timeline this week, and you guys went hard on the thing. Uh, so now <laughs> I feel like maybe I chose poorly, but hopefully um, he's not even in one of these issues. So yeah. the thing. And and. Uh... The Fantastic Four, if we're talking about 90s cartoons and everything, when I was growing up, um, I watched the Fantastic Four cartoon a lot more than the X-Men. So I love the Fantastic Four. I think that Thing, when he showed up and was maybe considering helping Alpha Flight, sort of, but it was his own title. Um, ben Grimm in the 80s was just a totally different thing. And um, I feel his character has been redeemed in large part in recent years that um especially in the current fantastic four series with uh that's written by ryan north um dan slot did a lot of work and i don't like dan slot's fantastic four that he did previously for the past few years um but he did a lot in terms of carrying on like ben and alicia being married and now they have a, a scroll and some other child it's two alien children that they adopted oh. um so like he he's a much softer character in terms of how he's portrayed um but back in i would say the two-in-one era he's just so gruff because they are really leaning into we want people to relate to him because this is the character we're pushing this is the wolverine before wolverine so yeah, he can be really annoying. I'll be the first one to admit that, especially when he's all like, oh, I'm just a monster made of rocks. But, 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 but. it's like, all right, you know, calm down, Ben. You've been a made of rocks for 30 years. Like, <laughs> you know, suck it up. You must be used to this by now. Uh, but I like the Fantastic Four because they're not really crime fighters. They're not really superheroes. They're more adventurers. The, the last issue we'll talk about is when Mark Wade uh, coins the term, uh, oh my God, what, what coin does he term? He calls them, uh, oh my gosh, why is my brain gone dead? We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. This is the teaser for everyone to keep listening. They are explorers. And that's what I like about them. But look, I'm never going to be the big strong guy. I'm never going to be the, the cool ass lady. And I'm never going to be the really hot guy that everybody wants to have sex with. But what I can be is a pompous, overbearing, smart guy. So I'm like, Reed Richards, perfect. Yeah. And um, I think it's just, I think this is pertinent to what's going on in the MCU because, of course, the Fantastic Four, the new Fantastic Four movie they're trying to get off the ground and all of the rumors. What do you think about the rumor that Pedro Pascal might be Reed Richards? So I like Pedro Pascal. But I don't quite understand why everyone loves Pedro Pascal so much. And if my sister tells me he's hot one more time, uh, he's not. Uh, he's, <laughs> you know, he's 
not an ugly man by any, but I mean, hot. No. Um, that being said, I'm more than willing to give him a shot at it because I do like him. He's a good actor. Uh, I feel like they'd have to put a helmet on him, I guess, for the entire thing for me to, because, you know, he spent all this time as the Mandalorian where he didn't really have to actually do a lot of acting, just a lot of yeah. voice work. Yeah. And it, I mean, when you're looking at the MCU and longevity and everything and how, you know, you can play this character for 15 years. So them selecting an actor that's, I, I don't even know how, he's over 40. He might be over 45. That's really gambling on the property where you're like, well, like, we're hoping that you age gracefully and that you will be still interested and even wanting to be employed um, as this is continuing. Because I know in phase one, two, and three and everything, they had to keep extending contracts. They're like, okay, Robert Downey Jr., we need like two more films from you. And Chris Evans, we need you for four more. But like one of them, you'll just be in like an end credit scene. So like, please, we're re-upping your contract. And at a certain point, all of them were like, no, we're done. Like, this journey is over for us. On April 2nd of this year, Pedro Pascal turns 49. Okay. Though Robert Downey Jr. was also not young when they chose him to play Tony Stark. And I'm okay with it with Reed because Reed should be a little older than most yeah. of the people in the Marvel. Though I don't really know how they're going to do the Fantastic Four because one of the things I like about them is that they are Marvel's first family. Like, they right. were first. And that's going to be difficult in the MCU since we know they're not first. Uh, so I don't know what they're going to do. But anyway, an older Pedro Pascal, I'm fine with it. Let's yeah. see what happens. He could be more distinguished and maybe this is a way that I know that in another branch of the MCU, they're trying to do the Young Avengers stuff and set that team up. Maybe in this way, when they introduce the Fantastic Four, you know, they're they're already parents. Maybe we have Franklin and Valeria already as teenagers, so they can sort of plug them into the newer generation as well. That might be a strategy they pursue. And as you were saying, if they were going for more of the explorers part, I feel like you don't have to be like the young super buff Chris Evans uh, for that role. I feel like that might be a good... Um, like how in the Terry Pratchett books, they say like, oh, you're an old champion or whatever. And the fact that you were old means that you were very successful at what you did. Like you always survived and came back. Maybe that works out well for them. Yeah. But I, I would be into Pedro Pascal. And uh, they're... Uh... Who knows what they're doing because of Jonathan Majors being just a piece <laughs> of ab- human trash. Um, but I think that throws a wrench in the Kang plans. Like, please, I'm begging the MCU and the powers that be at Disney, just pivot to Doom at this point. Because Doom can do the same shit. Like, It's it- true. I mean, you don't need Doom and Kang. Yeah. Well... I wonder if that's how they're planning on bringing in other teams and the X-Men into it. Like, they all come from different multiverses. Yeah, and Doom did do some shenanigans with Secret Wars like a decade ago. Like, it wasn't Kang that collapsed the multiverses down into one. It was Doom who did all that. Doom has always been a better villain than Kang. Kang is more frustrating than anything, and he gets confusing very quickly. So yes. I'm all for this idea of let's just, ju- though at the same time, Marvel, do your homework. Jonathan Majors had been an ass for years. Like nobody bothered to do. You should be vetting these people like they're like they're vice presidential candidates. Yes. Yeah. 
unless you're Mike Pence, and then you just get tossed in there. <laughs> and did they vet Dan Quayle? But um, so how do you want to tackle these three issues? You gave us three to read. Which and one do you want to start with first? Well, I'd like to start with Fent. I'd like to take them in chronological order. Okay. Oh, that's how I read them. Um, and unfortunately, the first two I picked have a, have a decent amount of setup. Because Fantastic Four 267 is, first of all, when John Byrne was doing the Fantastic Four. John Byrne's Fantastic Four run, you know, after Stanley and Jack Kirby left the Fantastic Four, it was not bad, but it wasn't, it wasn't what they were doing when they got along and were at the height of their powers anymore. Yeah, and, it and, kinda... uh, and, the, and just to interrupt a bit for readers who aren't familiar, Stanley, Jack Kirby, oh, they, they started a bunch of stuff in the MCU, but they let it go fairly quickly. Like the Avengers, they're basically like, oh, we're done. Someone else yeah. take it. Um, Fantastic Four was the one that they hung on to for years and years. Like they kept being the consistent voice of that team specifically um, for a long time. 102 issues, if I remember correctly. And oh, that's wow. no no fill-ins uh, because it was the 1960s and you didn't get fill-ins. You just did the work. Even if you were Jack Kirby and penciling four books a month, you just penciled them all. Oof. Um, and you could tell that they really liked the FF. Like there was a lot, especially towards the middle, like the issue 30 to like issue 70, where they were like really in the pocket. Eventually, of course, they started to have issues between each other. And you could tell when Jack Kirby started phoning it in for the last few years. Uh, I mean, Stanley had been phoning in more or less for quite a while. But in any case, after they leave the book, you know, they leave in the early 70s. And for the next 10 years, the book is kind of, you know, there's perfectly good creators on it. It's not necessarily bad, but it's not great. And then John Byrne comes in. And I know you guys have been talking about him because of Alpha Flight. Comes in at the, at the I believe, late late 70s or early early 80s and takes over the book as writer and penciler and uh you know i i don't think i'm gonna surprise you guys by saying burn stuff is well yeah burn's work is incredible um and this is where you really have to separate burn and his personality from his work um yeah. because we're pretty much in the middle of his run in fantastic four with 267 um and this is, I collected his run for Fantastic Four first before I started building out on either side of it. I was like, I want Burns' Fantastic Four run because it is so good. He he switched up the team. This is where Thing went off to, you know, be the really pushed star of the Marvel Universe. So he got, you know, he got two in one and his own solo title at the same time. And from your coverage, um, if people hop on over, uh, they tried really hard to like bring him into West Coast Avengers a little bit uh, for no reason. Like there was absolutely no reason. And even in universe, he's like, no, I don't want to be a part of your team. And they were just so horny for him to be on their team. They're like, please, Bang Grim, come be on our team. And he's like, no, I have other things to do. And I feel like there are a few characters in the Marvel Universe that are more New York City than Ben Grimm. Like, putting him on the West Coast is just like, no, that's not where he belongs. A fish out of water, as it were. Yeah. So, um, in terms of Burn and what we're doing elsewhere on our show, in our little podcast universe, um, Burn's Fantastic Four overlaps with Alpha Flight as well. So, um, he is almost like 
the Jack Kirby of the world plus writing of doing a bunch of stuff at the same time. And I can see how he would burn out and how it manifested itself in some of his opinions of his work, especially in retrospect, where um, we'll cover this. I'm not going to spoil it on our own um, podcast, but um, when we get to the end of Burns' run on Alpha Flight, he he has some opinions on that stuff. And we're going to look back once we get through his stuff and say, okay, well, how does he feel about his own work? And, you know, he really was co-creator of Alpha Flight and really made it ascend. Um, but yeah, like he did Fantastic Four and then he was gone. Probably because, and you probably know this better than I, John, he probably picked a fight with editorial or editorial told him do this. And he is like, no, I'm not playing ball. And he just went home. Um, yeah. Late, late eighties and early nineties. There's a string of books that burn started on that. He left in mid plot line because he was fighting with editorial with the Avengers and the West coast Avengers and the incredible Hulk. And he's just bouncing around. Like you say, uh, and editorial's like, you can't do that. And he's like, fine, then I'm leaving. And he oh. does it in the middle of plot lines, multiple times. That and then he goes to dramatic. DC. Yeah, well, yeah. That being said, I really do like, I, I I love his Alpha Flight run. I'm very excited for you guys to do more of Alpha Flight. And I really like his Fantastic Four run. I think it's really good. I'm not so sure it's my favorite, but at the time it came out, it was, it really was groundbreaking. Yeah. So here's where we start this issue. The Fantastic Four had, because they are uh, explorers, had just gone to the negative zone. Reed was like, hey guys, do you want to go to the negative zone? Just for funsies, see what's out there. And they're like, sure, Reed, we do whatever you tell us. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> you would think at this point in time, you would think after he took them up on a space flight and got them all transformed into uh, superpowered individuals, they might be like, you know what? Uh, not so sure I want to keep doing what you say, Reed, but they keep doing what he says. Well, they were in, they were in the negative zone for negative zone time months. Uh, and there was one particular issue where Reed and Sue send the kids, Ben and Johnny, uh, off to uh, off to the local town so that they can stay back in their tent and have the sexy times. Oh. And Sue gets pregnant. In the negative zone. In the negative zone. Now, she had gotten, when she was pregnant with, with Franklin, there were complications because of the cosmic radiation in their bodies. So why she thought getting pregnant in the negative zone was a responsible thing is beyond me. Or either of I them mean, had to have that thought. If Reed Richards is made of like rubber can he be his own condom i mean come Probably. on yes you would think so right anyway so once they got back to our universe she's having trouble with the baby and she ends up in the hospital and that's where we start this issue which i chose so i feel like there are two reasons why people don't like reed richards the first is that his powers are dumb and the second is that he's a cold fish that doesn't care about people I feel like that might be like people's impressions in the movies too. Like that's my only inner uh, context for Reed Richards was the movies. And I really liked Ian Griffith mostly because of the foresight saga that was on PBS um, as an actor. And then the first movies were fine. Um, and then I don't remember much of the latest fantastic four movie. When you say the latest, you mean the one with Michael B. Jordan as the human torch? Yes. Yeah. Um, well, that Reed Richards was played by Miles Teller, so he's obviously going to be a horrible person. And um, <laughs> I, I also think that 
Ian, uh, Yoan, Owen, Ian, Ian. It's Welsh, uh, so who knows? Right. I also thought he would make, I thought he made a fine read, but those movies didn't really give him much to do. Right. In my, you know, they're not, I don't hate those movies. Uh, their, their casting of the Human Torch and Ben Grimm was spot on. And I think the other two were fine, but they just, the movies weren't great. Yeah. yeah. And to set up the team for this issue as well. So I've railed against Ben Grimm enough in this episode. He's not here, <laughs> not appearing in this book. Sir, not appearing in this book, Ben Grimm, because we have She-Hulk as part of uh, the Fantastic Four. And actually, one of my first two comics issues ever from a flea market growing up was an issue of Burns run on Fantastic Four. So like, this is With my- With hulk as the, as the tank? Yes. Uh, so this is like my team of Fantastic Four. It's the one where it's like, are you going to kill Hitler? It was that issue. <laughs> wow, like, that's almost at the end of his run. Yeah. He, you know, I don't, the, the Fantastic Four is always going to be Reed, Ben, Sue, and Johnny. But I don't hate when they swap people out. That being said, the She-Hulk by far and away is the best uh, substitute that the team has ever had. Her time on the team was was great. So I picked this issue. So yeah, two reasons why people don't like Reed. I picked this issue because we get to see Reed use his powers in combat. And I think he acquits himself well. You can still argue that his powers are a little silly. They are a little silly. I don't think there's any way around it, but I think that John Byrne does a good job in this issue of showing that his powers can also be effective. Yeah. And he yeah. could be effective. So uh, if they're in the hospital because the complications are worse. And um, there's a lot of big brains in the room. Yeah, we have Morbius, uh, Bruce Banner, and a connection to Alpha Flight. We have Walter Lankowski. Yes. Sasquatch is there. Looking like a linebacker and Morbius looking a little decrepit. He has the Michael Jackson nose. So at this point in time, Bill Mantlo was writing the Hulk. And so as you see in this issue, Bruce Banner had control of the Hulk. He could change back and forth, uh, you know, at will. Morbius had been depowered in I don't know what issue because it's Morbius. No one cares. Oh. Uh, sorry. Sorry okay. for the Morbius fans. Um, and yes, he looks horrible. He look, I think he's a heroin addict. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah so a lot of big brains about health and radiation and more radiation um yeah because we um you get into uh, sasquatch being an expert with gamma radiation so um yes. that's like it, his his jam so reed is calling in the right people to consult on like and he's also a bit humble like i can't solve this myself I need more science brains here. And, so and that's bring... it. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, you go. I was going to say, and he'll say that kind of stuff to Dr. Octopus at the end of the issue, where he's like, it costs me nothing to admit that you are more of an expert in this than I am. That's Again, I like that about reading this issue. He's like, I just want to save my wife. I don't need to one-up anyone. Yeah, so when they talk about other radiation big brains, they roll around to Doc Ock and... A lot of background of his origin with the arms and the experiments and now his thoughts are fused to them which is interesting that in this issue like contrary to the movies and probably the animated series the arms are not physically bonded to him only mentally so i was surprised by that yeah i don't 
remember exactly when that changed, but I kind of like this because I like the idea that without his arms, he's just a normal guy you can throw in a psychiatric hospital. And yeah. then you put his arms under heavy guard in some, you know, important. I, I do, I do like that. So uh, Reed seeks permission basically to talk with Dr. Octopus. He's like, I need to see Octavius and just at least chat to him. Like, give me a try. I know that he is just um, locked up in a room right now, but maybe I can get through to him and tap into his knowledge. And we get a nice scene with him and Sue in the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, then we cut to the Fantastic Four bathtub as he flies it to go visit Octavius. And it's interesting, like, the scruff at the beginning is not, like, him trying to look daddy. It's him being disheveled and not sleeping and not taking care of himself because he's so worried. I Yeah, I think that Burns Reed Richards is the definitive look. Um, it, stubble or no stubble. Just the way that the hair is and how everything is colored. Like, mm. I, this is Reed to a T. So he flies and goes to room seven um it is a bathtub it is a bathtub yes it's, this was designed i like this because i feel like reed was like why do i need it to look cool you know i just <laughs> i'm a practical man i just want something i can fly around the city that can hold multiple people one mm -hmm. of them being the thing yes i i like it when they modify it i think it's in the 90s um or late 80s where they're the sidecars um mm -hmm. So that yes. Ben can just go in a sidecar. Oh. Yeah, it's had much better designs than this. If it's a sidecar, they each like points of the force. So like on one side, there's the it going down from the center to the side, but not on the other. So it does look like a force. No, you, I wish, that, but no, no, that would, that's that a great would be idea. Hey, call up Ryan North. Tell him that idea. Um <laughs> So uh, he sort of breaks through to Octavius because he treats him like a human. Um, Which apparently is novel. Yeah. <laughs> the people in the psych hospital are like, he's doing all these things that a professional would take months to get to. Like, and it works on the first try. Like, So I'm an old and I can tell you that in the 1980s, mental health was not a great field, not a, you know, they were, yeah. So I feel like this is appropriate to the time, but now it looks very uh, weird. Yeah. I'm, yeah. There's some family me mental health history trauma. Yes. I also like a Dr. Octopus who is at his core still a decent human. And that's, yeah. so I enjoyed the fact that he really seems like he does like there is a good man in there fighting to get out. It makes him more tragic. I like the Alfred yeah. Molina Doc Ock. I was going to say, that sounds like the Alfred Molina Doc. Yeah. So he gets permission to bring him over and see Sue. And the doctors remaining behind are like, oh, we can tidy up his room and see what he's been making. And it's like a string of octopi. It's super cute. Yes. I want to figure out how to fold paper and cut it like that. Yes, a little garland of octopi that he's been cutting. So obviously there's an element of his consciousness or subconsciousness that still that still knows what he did. Um, and maybe it tips 
towards who he really is on the inside. But we don't know because it's a mystery because it's a comic. Foreshadowing. So he's flying in the bathtub and they pass a billboard that the Daily Bugle has put up that has Spider-Man's face on it and it triggers him. It's a very large Spider-Man face, to be fair. This is, they use these all the time. They used to use these all the time in the Spider-Man comic book. And it says, Spider-Man, you can't see it here, but it's Spider-Man threat or menace. Because that's J. Jonah Jameson. He's like, look, he's either a threat or he's a menace. Take your pick. Uh, (laughs) And I love the fact, I also love the fact that Richards later on, Reed calls it like those, uh, he can't say damnable, even though I'm sure that's what he'd like to call it. um, Billboards that Jameson has plastered the city with. Yeah, he puts a lot of fault on J. Jonah. Yeah. Um, but this mental anguish that the billboard causes is enough for his uh, Doc Ock's arms to react, even though it's a maximum security They're in the middle vault. of transporting them on something that you may have seen in an Austin Powers movie in a security hallway. Um, I mean, there are three armed guards and the driver of the vehicle transporting these arms. And it's not enough because they get activated and sort of four arms go out and break through the walls. um, And they just start crawling their way to the surface. I was, I remember that you couldn't actually show blood uh, in these pages, but there's a spot where an arm is hitting a a security guard in the face. And I'm like, is that blood? Did he just like smash this dude's skull and its brains coming out? But no, it's the red glass from the shield. Yeah. So that took me a little bit to be like, oh, that's okay. He's still alive. It's fine. And I love these panels of the arms, just the arms, like especially the the one where the arms are like silhouetted running across the rooftops of the city. Yeah. So they move quickly because they find this bathtub that is still in flight. So the fantastic car with Reed and uh, Doc Ock still in the air, and it snatches both of them. The the fantastic car plummets. I was hoping it was on autopilot, but maybe that's the bathtub shower combo (laughs) evolution. Um. And Reed does a good job of fighting off the arms using his powers. Because we saw, like, the pages before set up a good context for how much destruction they can wreak and how much they can, or how little regard they have for security guards. Like, mm-hmm. they can just take them all out. But Reed holds his own. I mean, he's kind of a living, non-metal Dr. Octopus. I mean, the powers are kind of similar between him and the arms. Yeah. And um, the arms had just set Doc Ock down on a rooftop. So. um, He just needs a timeout. Yeah. And uh, the uh, arms like smash into a building with Reed. So they're inside an office building and they're pinning him down. And then one of the arms retrieves Doc Ock and brings him in. And he puts on his little suit. He gets cinched for the gods. Um, by this tentacle suit and the uh, this tentacle the, bustier. Um, the colors for the background are well done. Like, is a horizontal blue, a horizontal yellow, and then uh, pink fuchsia red as he's putting on the arms as like a almost like a needle moving mm-hmm. across a gauge. So I feel like once he's in the red zone, 
he's Doc Ock again rather than Otto Octavius. John Byrne did not want a pencil backgrounds. So, <laughs> so maybe I'm, I'm giving too much credit is what you're saying? No, like he does it on others, but um, you'll notice in Alpha Flight sometimes too, where you're like, oh, it's hit the famous snowbird issue that we'll get to, which is wonderful. But also I love that issue. I thought it was well done. Where it's like, oh, it, it's half the book is just white with text bubbles <laughs> because it's a snowstorm. Um, so Doc Ock is almost leaning into the, like, I'm going to kill. Like, he's... No, he does. He says, and Dr. Octopus kills. Right. Um, I think he's still teetering there, though. Like, um, because he's able to be talked out of it. Well, well it's fun that his arms have the, like, the telephone rotator dials rotary dials he has his arms have that so reed stretches his rubberness to the max to reach these dials and sort of nerfs the arms where they no longer become a threat they're just like waving wildly like the inflatable used, used card men. salesman yes yeah. <laughs> i'm sorry that's what i like to imagine having happened and then yes. it, it gets into a, a fairly good talk by Reed. Um, do you want to touch on that at all, John? Yeah, I mean, this is where he says, look, I came to you in good faith. There was no pride involved. No need on my part to prove any superiority to you, intellectual or otherwise. In this field, you are clearly my better. It costs me nothing to admit that. Uh, and so, and then he's basically like, so please, please come save my wife and and my unborn child. And um, and then when Dr. Octopus is like, I don't know if I can trust you. And he's like, fine, you got your arms back. Do what you will. Mm. And I, I really like that. Uh, it feels so it. I like the fact that if Reed at this point in time, Reed is still the smartest person in the Marvel Universe. I like the fact that he doesn't need to prove that to anybody, especially not to some, no offense, two-bit Spider-Man villain. Yeah. Um, then right, we Doc see um, Johnny Storm emerge from, uh, it looks like the interior of the hospital to the waiting area where Alicia is, but it's not really Alicia, but it's Alicia. Um, and they're They're in a relationship together, and he's like, it can't have ended like this. It can't. Um, and it's Reed kind returns. of a no you go right ahead oh Reed returns um shouts no goes rushing in and yeah he's like how like how is she doctor like i doc ock um he ends it ends with um the baby has been lost but it sounds like the... sue is still alive the last two pages are a little bit of a fake out because they want to make you think that Sue is dead and she is not dead. Yeah. But I still find that last page very moving because of the fact that it's just this mostly black page with just this box in the middle and the doctor saying, but I'm afraid she lost the baby a little over 30 minutes ago. And yeah. look, I, you know, I, I'm not someone who has children or has ever wanted to have children. Or particularly likes children, but yeah. that still to me hits, you know, a little bit that he's that, you know, 
obviously this is going to be hard for him. And I will also give John Byrne credit because over the next, you know, again, this is the 80s. We didn't talk very much about miscarriages. Mm-hmm. But over the next few months, this is going to be something that, you know, every once in a while will hit Sue. Uh, and I like that. It should. It should be traumatic. Yeah. And it, this is where Burns' ability to write something that's very dramatic, soapy at times, um, especially when you're talking about some of the other things that he's written. Um, Alpha Flight, it can be like a little soap opera sometimes. Um, but this is just good dramatic storytelling that he yeah. pulled off here. And it showed that Reed is not infallible, that uh, Reed did his best. Like, he did really good work with Doc Ock, but it it didn't matter because yeah. the clock was against him. Like, it, it, he put in the effort. He achieved his goal. It still was not enough for him to save his unborn child. So um, his futility and... Um, Who is not Valeria? No. No, no. This child is really and truly dead. Yeah. Oh. Yep. I feel like that doesn't happen in comics. It does not. I, I, I don't know what bringing back an unborn fetus would be like in comics, uh, but it seems like it would be bad. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, just... uh, similarly in X-Factor Investigations, we uh, ran into this with the not-baby being oh. absorbed. So it's... It's along those same lines where it's really just the tragedy of what may have been as well. So, and letting that sit, that's something that is never really gotten over in X Factor. And just like you said, John, this is something that they return to in the stories, um, that it's trauma and it takes Sue a while to really move past it totally. Um, and now it's never really mentioned, but it yeah. was it was a storytelling through line through the rest of Burns Run. Yeah, so I like it, but I really as much as I like it because I think it's a great issue. I like it because, again, it shows that Reed can actually fight if he has to Yeah, and yeah. effectively fight. So next up, I think you're going to bring us to Fantastic Four versus the X-Men number three. Yeah. So, yeah, again, lots of setup. This is just after Fall of the Mutants, the 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 Reavers, right? The Reavers, yes, have badly injured some of the X Men, including Shadowcat, who is losing her cohesion and is they're afraid is just going to dissipate and all of her molecules will scatter and there'll be no more Kitty Pride. And they, uh, Reed Richards, of course, has a device that could save her, but. He's suffering through a a crisis of conscience because in the Fantasy Four headquarters has been found a journal that supposedly he wrote about how the rocket flight that turned them into the Fantastic Four was not an accident, but something he did intentionally. So it causes problems in Reed's mind. It causes problems within the team and they won't help the X-Men. So the X-Men go to Dr. Doom. As you do. Yeah. Sometimes you need to make a deal with the devil. I mean, X Factor did to some extent. Yeah. It's one of the most insidious Doom plots because Doom, they make it clear in the fourth issue, at least to me, that Doom wrote this journal and he snuck it into FF headquarters, not having any idea 
when this thing would be found or come to light, but knowing that when it did, it would really screw up that team. And it's such a, it's such a clever, quiet way to hurt your arch enemies. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's very effective from what we see in these pages. Yeah. So we open up with Storm being treated by Doom because she has burns all over. Um, it, it's Mohawk Storm. And she has um, no powers. Her powers have been taken away by Forge, sorry, by Henry Peter Gyrick using a device that Forge created yes. to take away mutant powers. Oh, that dick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In a, in a memorable issue called Life Death. I you like gotta that. love Henry Peter Gyrick because no matter who writes him, he's always a dick. <laughs> always. Yes. That's the, the context I figured out from the more recent... Um, run of x-men red like he's just not a good person and then even in alpha flight the little bits and pieces i've seen not a good person no no so this is written by chris claremont so he did this miniseries because he was lord of the x-men during this time so if something touched x-men basically he would at least be involved um he'd be consulted anytime something would touch his characters and it's other people have mentioned how with the X-Men, like, there's some reason that people fight them as a way to, like, help boost the other title. If it's, like, so-and-so versus the X-Men, like, I guess, I didn't know it was a Fantastic Four. I knew it was the Eternals at one point, the Inhumans, Avengers, um, which is one of the first comic books I'd ever gotten. Um, yeah, and Avengers now, versus X-Men in, like, 2010 or something. Yeah. That series. And the most recent Avengers, X-Men, Eternals, Judgment Day-ish, blah. Not good. Not good. <laughs> they did They did an Avengers versus X-Men comic shortly after this comic came out in the late 80s. And Claremont did not write it. I think he wrote this because he really likes the Fantastic Four. Because he has a four or five year run on that title after they kick him off the X-Men books oh. in the late 90s, early aughts. That include the third book when we get there. The, the Fantastic Four, the third of the rule of three, like isn't two thousand two. Um, your third pick was not written by Claremont. No, 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 no. That's not Claremont. No, yeah. I, I do not. I don't like Chris Claremont's Fantastic Four. Because, so here's John's feelings on Chris Claremont. Since I'm throwing throwing shade uh, all over the place today, Chris Claremont's early work I think is so good. His early X Men with John Byrne. I think this series is excellent. But as he became the writer of the most popular comic book in comics, his writing takes, I feel like editors were no longer able to say to him, hey, Chris, maybe all the characters shouldn't talk the same way. Maybe oh. people can have different speech patterns. Maybe we don't need to fill the entire page with word balloons. Maybe the art can do some of the work. And so I feel like he kind of got out of control doing his own thing. Uh, and I'm not a fan of that. Now, I feel like recently, the Chris Claremont stuff I've read more recently, I think is really good again, possibly because he is no longer hopped up on his own PR. Um, and again, it, I yeah, because Philip just um, this morning finished the Crosstime Caper and Excalibur, which oh. I explained it started off as nine issues and then it extended to 12 because of 
that Claremont effect where it's like they weren't going to tell him no at that point. They weren't going to say, no, you only have nine issues. They're like, Claremont wants to give us 12, so he, he's he got 12. And you can sort of tell. Oh, yeah. Where the ninth would have wrapped everything up nicely and set up the next adventure versus the what happened next. His Excalibur issues, I think, are saved because Alan Davis's art is so good. Oh, yeah, that Conan cover, but it's Nightcrawler. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the, the cakes that Brian is serving in all of those. There are some straight artists that know how to draw men's asses. Yeah. So well. Um, so well. Alan <laughs> Davis makes most men look good. Take I have a... a- no, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, we can just take a moment to appreciate. Yes, all that his contributions. <laughs> I I love Nightcrawler, and I mean, like, I'm in love with Nightcrawler. I don't know what that says about me that I feel like fuzzy blue uh, men with only three fingers are attractive. But Nightcrawler, one of the first X Men comics I read was one that Paul Smith drew, mm-hmm. where uh, Nightcrawler's in the bath with Amanda Sefton, and I'm like. Why can I not be in the bath with Nightcrawler? Why does Amanda get to be in the bath with Nightcrawler? That seems unfair. Uh, <laughs> and I think it's Paul Smith that draws a very hot Colossus as well. He's another. I think he does. He's another penciler that knows how to draw a hot man. Yeah. So yeah, Nightcrawler. Okay. Thumbs well, up. Maybe, maybe we should dive into what Doom's doing here with Claremont's words. Um, but and maybe we'll find someone to lust after in here. Um, it's not out of the question. So uh, this is uh, the, as we're looking at his attempts to help Storm, because she has second and third degree burns, um, this is basically the Outback team. And people love the Outback team. Um, This is uh, a lineup that is held in high regard. And I think it has a good combo of power sets. I think they just gel really well together. Agreed. So we've got Storm, Wolverine, Betsy, um, Longshot, Havoc, Dazzler, and the dude in the cape that I can't remember right now. Magneto? Yes, that's Magneto. Oh. Yeah, this is Magneto when he it was good because um, uh, Charles got sick and had to go to space with his bird wife. Oh. So um, Professor X is um, off gallivanting and magneto sort of steps into that void especially with the new mutants um that's his primary involvement um the x team itself is really self-sufficient at this point because they're grown-ups um yeah magneto doesn't have like the usual magneto role no megalomania no he's nice like and and all the megalomania points have been filed under doom and that's some of the tension that you're going to see in this era is they're like why is magneto nice like you you were such a shit for so many years and now you want to help us what's your problem so um that's sort of the background for the team i do like that they're all together at the castle because who would skip a castle vacation i wouldn't Especially in Latveria, because you know that, like, the shit's going to be good. The feasting is going to be great. The feasting, yes. Uh, probably the puppet shows, be- uh, because it's Eastern Europe stuck in, like, the late 1800s. So there's going to be, like, some puppet shows that you can go to, some nice stalls in a market. 
for context, we just watched The Sound of Music to help Nick the Rabbit recover from um, some of his eye issues. So, so Nick show. enjoys The Sound of Music? It's his favorite movie. He likes uh, Dame Julie Andrews. He loves her well, So He has great taste. Everyone loves Dame or should love Dame Julie Andrews. She's amazing. He's got the ears for it. Har, har. Oh, <laughs> grown. Okay. Oh, yes. Anyway, back to the story. Doom is narrating his own greatness and how no one else would be able to heal Storm in the way that he can. And he's got some little light bulbs that he waves over. Um, and yeah, even Betsy's sort of bitter about it. Of why hasn't he shared these this miracle treatment to save so many other lives? The rope yeah, comes flying back from shopping, which is enjoyable. Yes, um, I like her outfit. Yeah. She doesn't get to keep it, though. No, no she does not. Um, And this activates Doom's guards. She didn't they're tell not, anyone she was going. It, they're, they're not the traditional Doom bots. They are much more like suits of armor. I was going to say flying monkeys. Yeah, that too. Um, So they're going out to intercept, and the X-Men are like, oh, no. And Havoc is being a himbo and starts firing at them um, because Rogue activated the intruder alert perimeter alarms um, because she's just coasting back, like flying back on her back. She's just so relaxed. Like yeah. she had some retail therapy and is just having a great time. I got to figure the dollar is very strong in that area. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Havoc has great aim like the castle's way up in the distance and there's some zabams on the doom bots or the non doom bots um, Dazzler gets her moment to shine Dazzler fans listening to this podcast there you go um, she's here yes she is voiping voip voip with her finger she has very precision aim with her lasers yes and Rogue is just kicking ass, except she's losing like she lost all her clothes that she just bought. Her new outfit is in tatters. It's very unfortunate. Um, and then eventually they're all being surrounded, and then Doom emerges with Storm, and she's like, and but he swan. I don't know that much about Doom, but I love. I know that he loves himself, and he loves a dramatic moment, and this is his dramatic moment to swan down the stairs. With Storm on his arm, fully healed in flowing white. I don't know if there's enough fabric to be robes. It's, it's a gown. Um, he found a gown for her because he has um, a bunch of uh, outfits, mainly for women, in the castle. Um, <laughs> and so that diffuses the situation there. Um, is that an accurate representation? He likes to swan downstairs and makes his dramatic entrances. He's a queen. Yeah, I don't think he'd agree with it, but I love that description of how he comes downstairs. <laughs> um, then we get to see Kitty Pride, and she is uh, the only reason she is not dissipated into nothingness is that she's in a tube, um, and uh, maybe naked. There's some wisps, yes, placed. Um, and Lockheed is looking real sad outside. Um, he just wants his friend to be better, and. And Franklin is there. Franklin projects himself there. It's very. This was hard. his power in the eighties. Was the projection? Yeah, pretty much. They called him Tattletail, and he ran around with power pack. Yeah, 
Oh, you love Power Pack. Yes, I have almost the complete run of Power Pack in a short box. Why? I don't know, but I do. The only thing I know about Power Power Pack is that it led to Power Pachyderms, which is, <laughs> I feel, more my speed. <laughs> yes. So um, she can't interface with Franklin. Like, he's observing everything, but she it she's thinking to herself, like, I will end this. I'm going to see one more sunrise. She's definitely naked now that I turn the page. Um, she is an astral form where she's like, I'm going to go out onto this parapet and dissipate into nothingness. And he's really traumatized because he's a child seeing <laughs> someone he likes um, try to um, kill themselves. Yeah. Uh, real dark, real dark turn um, for Kitty Pride. Um, and Lockheed, the smart dragon that he is, roars to bring attention to it so the X-Men will go up there. Um, but before they even get up there, Betsy projects her butterfly and is like, girl, what you doing? And Kitty's like, you can't stop me. Um, and Franklin's like, the beautiful butterfly lady sounds really upset. And um, Rogue flies out out because she's like i can rescue her but you can't because she's intangible so like you you need to get through to kitty some other way um and franklin is like slowly crawling out onto the parapet and is crying and finally kitty notices him because i don't think they can otherwise detect franklin in this state right no, i don't think anybody else can see him but kitty and i'm not really sure why kitty can yeah. but um, you know, I would say because it makes for a better story. Um, so so she it. eventually will go back into her tube where Franklin is hugging the glass um, where she is encapsulated. And Doom is like, okay, like time is of the essence. I'll be ready by tonight. I have things to do. Like I have capes that need to be steamed. Um, this time tomorrow, Ms. Pride will be restored to perfect health. But then we cut to the man of the episode, Mr. Fantastic. In a shadow, oh, not laden. A shadowy hallway. Shadow, like, very stark shadows. Like, a, the art is telling you how desolate the hallway is, which is telling you how desolate Reed is feeling. Are we in the Four Freedoms Plaza era? Yes, we're in the Four Freedoms Plaza. Do okay. No, no, we're in, um, no. what was Baxter it? building? I'm sorry, we are in Four Freedoms Plaza. Doom has already blown up the Baxter building. Okay. Oh. And they haven't rebuilt it yet. So John... Four Freedoms Plaza, they have part of it for the team for both like their their technical stuff, also their living quarters. Um, later on this decade, Quasar will rent out a floor at Four Freedoms Plaza for his offices. <laughs> yes. Um, so it... It has a lot going on. They're making some revenue, basically. They're gathering some rent. This issue is penciled by John Bogdanove, who does a lot of Superman at DC, which, you know, I can take or leave his art. But I really love his art throughout this entire miniseries. Like you say, the 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 feeling, like, you can feel how alone Reed is as he prowls around Four Freedoms Plaza because of the shadows and because of the... I mean, you get a, a sense of how big this space is and we keep seeing just a little like as he's climbing the stairs it's just this little reed climbing i don't know 
with roughly uh, 4,000 stairs to go, <laughs> you know, up a level. And Oops. and the sh- then the, his shadow is so much more outsized compared to like the little tiny him. Like, yeah, the artist is doing some good storytelling here. Yeah, they're they're doing a great job. And so he goes to the domestic level, and there's a light on, and it's Sue. And this is, it took me a little bit because um, I have not read any of these and didn't know the context. But when you were talking about the diary, this is the fallout from that, where. He's like, is Sue awake? And he goes to touch her and then thinks better of it. And the rubber hand withdraws and Sue was already awake. And then she's crying and he just, he goes to his favorite window. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And he's like, this, this diary is not mine, but they are not believing me. Like I, I didn't do this. Um, So he walks Past the hallway where the diary is just laying out, like it's a quest item. No, he carried it. He dropped it. Oh. Yes. So finally he just like drops it on the ground. So, but it's, anyway. so, so it's not a quest item because you can drop it. Yes. So um, then he goes and he's like, oh, Franklin. And Franklin is whimpering and crying from everything that he's seeing over in Latveria. Um, and it. Then Franklin sort of comes awake and he he's scared. He needs some, some cuddle time. Yeah. And I think they both do. Yeah. Like it seems like it's good for both Reed and Franklin. Um so Reed is like, you know what? I'll tell you a story. Like, let's cheer each other up. Um Sue walks in but doesn't want to disturb, so she becomes invisible and has a touching moment where He's witnessing Miss Reed be a good dad. Yeah, because Reed can actually, I like how the way he uses his hands to, you know, to actually act out the little story with the elephant and everything. Yeah. It's, he should do a puppet show the in Saggy, Latveria. The saggy, baggy <laughs> elephant. Um, in Latveria, the X-Men are doing some training sessions. Um, Longshot is being Longshot, which is him being cheeky. Um, we see the fallout from the diary stuff in New York as the thing goes to a bar to binge drink. Um, it is not healthy. No. And we find out like throughout by the end of the scene, he's not even buzzed. Like he's been chugging beers all night and like, um, uh, chomping hamburgers. There's, there's a lot of lamenting that the neighborhood is not what it used to be. It's. It sounds like it's getting gentrified and yeah. gussied. I'm sorry, gussied is the word that he uses. <laughs> and the owners of the bar are like, uh, like this guy could just be so angry at the drop of a hat and destroy this bar. Like, just keep feeding him beer and maybe it will suffice. And eventually he's like, this isn't doing anything for me. I'm going to shuffle off. And the staff... <laughs> has a collective sigh of relief when he leaves without destroying anything. Which yeah, you can only imagine. Yes. And a lot of the thought bubbles are referring back to the diary. How could my friend do this to me on purpose? It has ruined my life. Um, nothing is what I wanted or... I can't even have sex because my dick is made of pebbles. I mean, um, he says he can't be a man. Yes. Which is code for that and i like my explanation better <laughs> my it wouldn't have been printed 
Um, but he leaves the bar and there's a tanker that has jackknifed and is on fire. And the car underneath there has a baby in it because, of course, it does. And so the thing comes over in a rudimentary 80s car seat. Um, like this is the type of car seat where it's like, like it, it was like the roller coaster is, bar that you would put over a baby and you're like, it's safe. I was um, about to say it's the roller coaster bar. Yes. Um so he saves the baby even though like he's getting warmed up. Like even though his jacket was soaked in water before he went in, um he can feel himself getting warm, but he's able to protect the child, get it out. And it was something that he wasn't otherwise able to do um, if he were his non-cosmic raid infused self. Mm -hmm. So the human torch um, flies and has sex with Alicia. I just summed up a whole page <laughs> uh, by by saying that like he's similarly going through it. Because he was the one that burned Storm, like is an errant fireball of his. And so now he's like, I need to have perfect, particular control over my power so it never happens again. Like I could have killed Storm. We have to I give him something. Did. He has to have something to be upset about because, of course, Ben Grimm is a little upset because he got turned into a giant rock monster. But Johnny loves being the human torch. So even if he found out Reed did it intentionally, why would he be upset by that? And I it's sort of like he knows that, like he feels guilty for not feeling mad. Yeah. Um, but yes, they definitely have sex. Um, they're boning. Um, but then we go back to Reed, who has put Franklin to bed. So he's finally calmed down, tucks him in. Sue shows up with some tea and reveals that she saw the whole thing. They watch the sunrise cuddled together. And she says the author of the diary couldn't be related to Franklin the way, or couldn't have related to Franklin the way you did. Um, he was a man who used people, who saw them as tools. He uh, would have responded analytically. You saw a human need and answered as a human being. Yeah. So that was... I, I like that, though, at the same time. I'm like, you know, so people change. He may have been yeah. a bastard when you married him or when yeah. he did this to you guys a few years ago. And maybe he's just, but whatever, you know what? I like her explanation. And and I, I think it's true. I mean, you look at Reed with Franklin and this does seem like someone who truly does love his son. Yeah. We're back in Latveria. It's that evening, presumably. So um, uh, Doom has his um, freshly pressed skirt on. and <laughs> It's a tunic. It's a belted <laughs> tunic with some metal plate armor underneath as you do um and so reed having got over some of the emotional turmoil he was in um is back to thinking about kitty and the design and how his feelings and turmoil before were hindering him actually being able to help kitty um therefore forcing the storm the x-men to go to doom and there's something he, here that I think is important for Reed, which is that the whole point of the Fantastic Four is Reed screwed up. And that is something that you feel like should come back to haunt him more often than it does. To be fair, Lee and Kirby did a decent amount of it in the 60s. But then after, after a while, it just rarely comes back. And I feel like it should come back because this is a guy that supposedly has all the answers, except for the one time he didn't when he turned his best friend into a rock monster. And sex anymore. Yes. 
I'm so, sure that there's a commercial on broadcast TV. Like, do you have pebble dick? <laughs> and there's a there's an there's a medicine for that. You can get. So a I shot. like, I like the fact that this shows Reed at not his most confident, and he has to get his confidence back, and he's helped with that by his family, who all you know come in at the end, and they're like, you know, Reed, we've got your back. We're your family. We, you know, we trust you. We love you. We're here for you. And, and I like ben, ben comes in reeking of gasoline and beer. I mean, that, that could just be a typical Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> so that's our that's our second issue. Yeah. Um, Reed showing that he is fallible. I can see why you chose it. It's like a really good uh, DS9 level episode. Um, level of character development for him yeah i'm i yeah i'm a big fan but that takes us into the the last issue which is from the third series well not right after but the series that happened after heroes reborn and they're already at issue 60 here and it's written by mark wade so and penciled by the late great mike waringo and I would say inked by the not late, but still great Carl Kessel, mm. who apparently also really likes the FF because we will see Carl Kessel do write a couple of fill-in issues on the title that are actually really good fill-in oh, issues. Cool. Known to be bad, but he writes, uh, actually maybe he already wrote some. I think he might have done one during, uh, no, those weren't him. He will eventually write them, I think, during this run. Or it might have been Walt Simonson's run because Walt Simonson's run had quite a few fill-ins in it. Mm. Anyway, sorry. All right, Jones so we're seeing a, we're seeing a presentation on an overhead projector, which I can confirm when this issue came out in two thousand two, and we were in high school. Overhead projectors were still in use, so it's true. Um, it it's very it's meta, and the Fantastic Four have become meta within the Marvel universe. Like Fantastic Four issue number one exists as a comic within the Marvel universe. So they've yeah. uh, they've commercialized themselves. I mean, By issue... To... I'm sorry. Oh, they have to if they're buying a whole building in New York City. By issue 10 of the original series by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, uh, Reed was going to Stan Lee's office to talk with Stan Lee and Jack Kirby about the comics they were going to make about the Fantastic Four. You know, it can be hard to read 60s comics because it was a different time. Mm. But I, I I firmly believe that the Fantastic Four was where they were like, let's try to do things mostly differently. Because those comics do read, in my opinion, better than a lot of 60s stuff. After, man, read 20 or 30 issues of, of 60s Daredevil or Spider-Man. Well, not Spider-Man. Steve Ditko did great things with Spider-Man. Daredevil or Avengers or whatever. And you start to want to like poke your eyes out with, with sharp knives. But Oh, no. The Fantastic Four, I feel like, is often still really pretty solid, even 50 years later. Yeah. This is a PR firm that has been hired by the Fantastic Four to rejuvenate their brand. And it's it's funny because some of the explanations, like their licensing revenue is down 22% from last year. Wizard Magazine hasn't picked their hot picked their comic for months, which is funny because Wizard was a thing was a thing isn't it around anymore be, which is too bad um because i feel social media really sucked off <laughs> oh no um sucked away <laughs> um 
what they were doing, but social media doesn't do it well anymore. Like maybe in the beginning when Wizard was like, oh, we're going to close up shop because we don't have anything that isn't out there anymore. That's not true anymore. Like so many resources online are clickbait now. And it is like a tweet that is like a two sentence spoiler for something. And that's it. It doesn't serve the purpose Wizard did, which was to get people excited and to promote like that's where people would go for interviews like um the mark wades of the world would give an exclusive interview to wizard to talk about i'm i'm coming on as the head writer for fantastic four and it's so good here's some teases for like the first arc like it was so much more and we don't have that resource Mm. at our disposal anymore uh we have to rely on the official company word from marvel or dc and that's it to get you hyped and that's so different from an independent third party really subjecting something to scrutiny so that's my wizard take in this essay i will yes i liked wizard i enjoyed i enjoyed it it was it was fun to read and it it covered everything like it would cover the indies marvel dc it would cover tv um movie stuff um the stuff that you've shared on the show is like Lord of the Rings stuff, X-Men casting rumors. Yeah. Not just rumors, but if you can ever find an old wizards, they would do uh, casting calls where they would cast movies with who they thought should play the parts. And they're oh, yeah. very interesting to see based on who eventually got cast in various roles. Mm-hmm. I don't have any of my old wizards, sadly, anymore. I I got some last year. So I have a magazine box with some of them in it just to like flip open a random one but my magazine back in the day was toy fair and similarly i don't have any of my old toy fairs anymore which is disappointing because looking back they're so cool to see if i still have i used to have some of the compendiums of the twisted toy fair theater yeah those are (laughs) they are so wrong and yet also usually still funny yes (laughs) So we get this uh, guy who's sort of planted within the team of Fantastic Four and sort of like trapped in the middle. He gets to see all sorts of stuff. And currently, the his first assignment, he's stuck between the Human Torch and the Thing as they're bickering, as they do. And, they're, and it's totally like sibling bickering. Oh, it's yeah. like touch, touch, touch. I'm, I'm not touching you. Yeah. I'm not touching you. Um, and this poor guy, like he's along to try to get fodder for public relations. Like we got to observe some stuff so we can talk it up. How can we reframe it? Like, yeah, all the things. If the FF are Marvel's first family, uh, Mark Wade's take is definitely that Ben and Johnny are two of the children, even though there are actual children. Ben and Johnny are yeah. also the children that Sue and Reed are the dad are the dad and the mom for everyone. Yep. Which I find amusing, and I'm I'm okay with it because I feel like they kind of are. I mean, you know, Johnny is a m- much, I don't know, younger brother of Sue, and Ben. You know, Ben and Johnny have been acting like like spoiled kids since the '60s. Yeah. So this mission that they're on is they're cleaning. It's a, there's some sort of probe that's shaped like a whale with baleen and everything, and it's being swarmed by some gross little things um that have teeth and scales and spikes they're like mosquitoes only worse so their mission is to clear it off 
um, because it's destroying this probe and all the data that it's been accumulating. So they go, go do their thing, use all their powers, and then eventually um, Mr. Fantastic uses some device to repel them. I did enjoy Johnny and Sue, where he's tr she's trying to gross him out by saying how sexy she, she thinks Reed is. As someone who has an older sister, it's the kind of thing that you do with each other. So I... I enjoyed that between the two of them. I know I'm not here to talk about Sue and Reed. Nope, so I'm sorry. Sue and Johnny, I'm here to talk about Reed. But uh, I enjoyed that character moment. Huh. With three older sisters, that's not a thing I would ever talk about with my sisters. <laughs> how, how many sisters do you have? Three. And all older. Wow. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's a thing. I'm an only child and I like it that way. Every only child I know likes it that way. I've never, never, I've never met the only child who was like, I wish I had siblings. I'm sure they may exist, but. <laughs> I mean, with three, you have options. And yeah, I don't know. I, it's just me and my sister. I love my sister dearly. I don't know what I'd do without her. So I'm happy to have a sibling, but I get it, you know, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. It's so weird. Just just like you probably can't imagine having grown up with a sibling, I can't imagine having grown up without one. Yeah. yeah. And being able to fly under the radar for years, years at a time. Um, um, so that whole mission is sort of like a, and plus the PR thing is like a cold open. Mm -hmm. And then we get the title page. And Franklin is reading an issue of Fantastic Four as he's waiting for them to get back. Yep. And it, um, Reed brought him a present. It is a macro atom. Which, is that healthy? I don't know. What if it emits something? Um, and I, I love that the team is all confused as to why Reed hired a PR firm in the first place. They're like, what is this about? Why do we care what our, what our Q ratings are? It's true. Um, but we see that there was a stowaway on board. Yes. And it's so cute. And then we basically get days of the week yeah we get a slice of life for the fantastic four from the perspective of this pr guy and like he i like the use of his character as a window in of like you sort of take it for granted all the cool things they can do but he's living it like he is standing on a little force field um as if it was a contact lens that sue had dropped um, and it's just floating outside while Johnny does some repair work to some wires. And this poor guy is freaking out. I'm like, how? Why? I dropped a quarter. I think I killed a man. <laughs> I am all on Scherzer's side on this one because not only because you, you can see straight down, but also because he doesn't know where this thing ends. Like, what if he accidentally steps back and he steps right off of it? I, right? I would be freaking out as well. And, and heights don't really bother me that much, but. No, oh. no, thank you. Yeah, Sue didn't bother to put safety rails on her desk. <laughs> but even if not... she did, he wouldn't know. Yeah, it's true. Um, so she's having some fun with the powers. He, she makes him a little bit invisible, and yeah, Johnny goes and flies off. Um, and we flip to Tuesday. There's madness and chaos happening in a lab. I Gravity. like the way he 
I like the way how he describes how they sound. Like when Reed uses powers, it's like rubbing your hand over a balloon. Yeah. And with Ben, it sounds like rocks in a clothes dryer. I, I think that's kind of interesting because you don't think about that. I don't think about that no. when they're doing their stuff. Yeah, I agree. That was a fun part of this issue where I'm like, I've never considered how their sound, like maybe their voices, but definitely not the sounds of them. Oh, yeah. Uh, so Tuesday, there's uh, some gravity gone awry and they have to get rid of this anti-gravity liquid. So um, apparently it's the middle of the night. It looks like the thing is in his pajamas. Um, so to keep people from flying out to outer space, um, Johnny Storm ignites the liquid to burn it off. And Reed has to reach up and grab people before they exit the atmosphere. And some, through some team effort, like the the equivalent using their powers of like holding onto someone's foot as that person is reaching for something else. That was kind of fun. Yeah. And they think they figured out why Reed hired the PR firm because this is a big scientific uh, symposium and and Reed wasn't at it. And they're like, oh my gosh, he didn't get invited. He always gets invited. This must be why we've hired the PR firm mm -hmm. because he's not being invited to big sciencey science stuff. Yeah. Um, then we move on. Um... We, we also get him, uh, the thing is looking over his shoulder of, of the PR guys. He's typing and he's like, why do they do what they do? And the thing is like, why do you think we do it? And he says, because you're superheroes. And the thing just walks away laughing. <laughs> because they're not superheroes. Um, Wednesday, we have Ben Grimm carrying a clock. Um, speaking of clocks from before we started recording, um, <laughs> there is a grandfather clock being carried as Sue is with Valeria and they stop and there's um, some hip hop artists who have done a remix. They have sampled the yes, thing. Um, for their burn CD clobber in time. Um, something that's probably gone by the wayside in recent years is people like having their own burned mix cds oh. to give to passers-by for money oh yeah when i first started going to concerts that was a thing yeah um so they rap for ben Grimm, and um he's like i it's cool i guess like this is fun it's better than them screaming at me to get away from them and it's uh, the hulk will be jealous so cool and then we go to Thursday where he's like reading a book and quietly rapping the song to himself. Yes. Uh, Friday, we get some square bubbles being blown by Franklin. And. And Reed and Sue again talking about why did he hire the PR firm? And he, he blows it off because some people come around him and the kids are like, look, it's Mr. Elastic. And he's like, I think the name Mr. Elastic tells the tale, you know? Yep. Um, because they're they're viewing things they themselves have defeated in a museum, um, which as a museum facilities person, if someone were blowing bubbles in my museum, absolutely not. Um, that would be shut down real quick. And then Saturday, we see a um, mock-up of a new Fantastic Four comic being relaunched, um, and where I... it's F- exclamation point f exclamation point 
with suit redesigns like it is such a parody of actual comics and the comic industry where they're like oh we're gonna start off with a brand new number one and they're getting new outfits i know you have not seen uh stargate all that much john have you watched stargate sg1 no sadly i it's on my list of shows to watch i know it's like i don't know 15 years after it came out but it's on my list there's in the later seasons they absolutely do not take themselves seriously anymore and it's fantastic like richard dean anderson like calls out these aliens on their bullshit of like could you be any more cliche and you get some really fun episodes where the team that goes off and does all these interstellar adventures has to sit down and talk to a tv producer about how they're going to make a tv show of their team and like all the ideas and you get like the little snippets of it as it actually happens and it's I think they use that plot line twice, once with the original team and then once with the new team. And it's so good. And like, it's so campy fun. I just love that they did that here too. I'm going to have to, I, I really, I'm going to have to move it up my, I don't even know where I can stream it right now, but I'm going to have to move it up my list of things. To I watch. think it's on Amazon right now for free with All no right, commercials. And check it out. Daniel Jackson. <laughs> so you wouldn't think but yes um and so this is the proposal um to sort of relaunch things and um we get the pr firm reflecting like you know they've been around a long time um although correction i don't know if i just said michael jackson i meant daniel jackson i think you said daniel jackson. You okay, did. Good. yes you did um Oof. So it's basically like they're always showing us something new. So that's the PR firm's take that um, you do it about people, not the costumes, and people will care about it. Like make it rooted in their personal stuff. Don't make it flashy. You don't need a foil cover. <laughs> um, and then we find out the real reason why Reed wasn't at the symposium. He's the one who turned them down. Wanted yes. to spend some time with his family. Yeah, Valeria is only going to be a baby once. So he wanted to take the time to be with his family. And we find out why he hired the PR firm. Because he does feel bad about the rocket flight that changed him into the Fantastic Four. And he wants to make them... He want, He feels like he destroyed the lives of his family. And he wants them to... Uh, make sure that they that the world sees them as heroes because he thinks yeah. they're heroes yeah and i like the fact that while claremont touched on this that he feels bad about he does still feel guilt and and about the the rocket accident he didn't we i like the fact that mark wade took it a step further and said and what's he going to do about it because reed is someone who fixes problems he sees a problem and he fixes it and so this is how he's fixing this problem. He can't go back and unmake them superheroes. And at least one of them wouldn't want to have his powers taken away, but he can go back. I also th like the fact that he says, well, he's telling this story to Valeria and he says his, talking about himself, his guilt was unbearable and deserved. Like he, he knows he screwed up. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's not wrong. This is all on him. So, yeah. And it's a, it's a really good reason why, you know, because the FF have never had code, or sorry, have never had secret identities. They've always been out in the open. 
So you can, you can, if you want to, take this all the way back to Lee and Kirby and said, this has always been Reed's plan. This is why he has always had them operate in public because he wants them to be seen as... Um, I also like the fact that when he he's talking about himself and he says, who would call themselves Mr. Fantastic? Is that is, Does that sound like something anyone would really want to call themselves that? But I do that because that's part of the show. Mm-hmm. It generates the headlines um, that it would keep people from fearing them, them being the team. Uh, glamour and fame weren't options. They were necessities. And then when he says by turning that, may, maybe by turning his friends into celebrities, he could be forgiven for taking their normal lives away. And the look on his face is just this, this, this panel with no dialogue. And then he says, someday. So you can tell he's still haunted by this. And no matter what the sliding time scale of the Marvel Universe is at this point in time, Franklin is, I don't know, at least like nine or 10, I would say. So this it, happened, yeah. I would say, over a decade ago. And it still haunts him. So what do we think about Mr. Fantastic after this? He gets a lot more depth than I think I had ever given him credit for. So like good choices for the rule of three. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I think it's really important for people to take the time to uh, understand some of the motivations behind a character. And I think your selections for the issues brought those to the forefront that he he is motivated by his own drive for science and things like that but deep down he is just trying to make something right i think and do the right thing um he deal with his guilt yep from what happened and try to make it something productive um yeah yeah I know these are all older comics and I'm not saying that there aren't good newer comics with Reed, but one of the reasons when I kept trying to go for uh, more obscure characters, I've read these issues so many times that they are imprinted on my brain. And when I first thought, what about Reed? These three issues popped to my mind like that. Like there was absolutely no hesitation. These are the three essential Reed Richards issues. And I felt like if I went with someone that was a little bit more obscure, I would have had to read a lot of issues and then try to figure out what makes them who they are. Whereas, again, I know these issues so well. Yeah. The, the great choices. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us and um, really bringing to light a character that I hadn't, I had read one of these issues, maybe two. I might have read Fantastic Four X-Men um, at some point. In the past decade, but 267 and 267. Yep. So, um, Mark Wade's Fantastic Four run is fantastic. I'm a Mark Wade fan. I think most of what he does is fantastic. I should not have used that word to (laughs) to describe his run. Uh, I think it's really good. I mean, I've always liked his stuff, and I think he does a really solid job with the team. So, maybe some season after you guys are done with Alpha Flight, you will uh, take a look at the Mark Wade. Fantastic yeah. Four run. I definitely want to read more of it now. Yeah, and Imaginauts. Imaginauts is what I was trying to remember at the beginning of the episode and could mm. not. That's uh, what he calls them, Imaginauts. To dear listeners who stuck with it. Yeah. The word. <laughs> we have come full circle. Yeah. All right. So what do you want to pitch us? Like this is coming out in a few days after we record. 
So what's going on with the Avenging Hour? Where can people find you? Give us everything. Well, we had we we just dropped the episode that you two were on that we recorded in I don't know like 1999, <laughs> uh, where we looked at costumes for uh, from Volume One, which means our Volume One retrospective is finally over, and we are starting on Volume Two on uh, on Monday. Uh, yeah, which is tomorrow. Which yes, is <laughs> which when this is released two days ago. Yeah. So. If you want to get in on the ground floor of something, go over to the Avenging Hour for Volume Two of the Avengers, which is a, is it's not going to be that long until you're no, in Volume not. Three. So, yeah, it's, it's I think it's four. I think we do all thirteen issues in four episodes. Great. Oh. So that's basically there... a month. You get a whole volume of the Avengers yeah. within a month. Wow. People. I'm and so tempted to do like a six part retrospective after we finish volume two, but Jason tells me that I cannot, that <laughs> he will not stand for it. <laughs> so uh, where can people find you? At uh, Avenging Hour on Instagram. All right. Um, and that's where you post fun panels from stuff that you're talking about. I do it sometimes, like when I actually think about it and then I go in and like capture panels, you are so much better at it than me. Like, um, and also Instagram scheduled post feature. What a blessing. Um, oh, yeah. For me, at least, like, I will pull everything and then just schedule a week out. Um, or until Instagram is like, we're having problems scheduling things because I've done so many. No. So keep up the great work. I am really looking forward to volume two because I've never touched volume two of the Avengers. So I can read along and uh, might not be looking forward to it for a long time but uh, uh and you guys again i'm so excited for this year on x factor files because i'm really enjoying well there's only one episode of it so far but i'm really excited about alpha flight <laughs> uh i'm curious to see who else does uh these uh and i like star trek marvel comics i have all of them so oh, i'm hooray. also excited to hear you talk about them as well yeah, we I have like three more issues I need to track down, like one of DS9 and two of Voyager, and that's it. Then I'll have everything on hand too. So it's a it's a fun little corner of the Star Trek comic universe that existed for like 18 months, and that's it. Such a shame that it came yeah. and went so quickly. Cause I feel like there was a lot of potential in some of these titles, especially Starfleet Academy. Because yes. they went somewhere different and did something that nobody else had done. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, John. We will catch you next time. We are going to draw you in, I am sure, for another episode of something. Um, so fear not, listeners. You will hear from John again. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening, everyone.